Welcome to the International Schools Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Taylor, and on the podcast, we discuss all aspects of technology and life in international schools, with new episodes live every two weeks. We focus on people currently working in international schools, and we talk about life in their current country, and then we dive into some specific topics. The podcast is sponsored by Apps Events. We're a Google for Education partner and made up of former educators, all experts in helping schools integrate Google into their schools and classrooms. All training is customized for every school to make sure it has lasting impact. We're also experts on online virtual Google training, and we can deliver all our certification boot camps and training completely online to schools. We have teams in Europe and the Middle East, Asia and the US, and we can help you wherever you are. Check it out over at appsevents.com. We're also delighted to say we're now an ISTE partner and we're delivering the ISTE Certified Educator worldwide with our subsidiary AE Learning. ISTE certification is a pedagogy-focused, vendor-neutral, professional certification aimed at educators wishing to transform their edtech practice. We run two-day certification boot camps which are amazing fun, great networking and will give you a huge boost both to your career and for your school. Get all the info at aelearninglab.com. Finally, the podcast is brought to you by Acer for Education. People ask us what Chromebooks and Windows laptops we recommend for schools, and after literally trying them all, we always recommend Acer. If you'd like to get more information, please just leave your email at gg.gg forward slash Acer Education, and we'll get straight back to you. We go to Acer HQ in Taiwan every year to be part of product discussions, and they are genuinely the best thought out, cost-effective, and durable devices out there. And now, on to the interview. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today, it's great to be talking to someone called Ryan uh, Rassar. Now, Ryan uh, is in the US, and we got in touch because we're both members of an entrepreneurial group called the Dynamite Circle, and there was a thread in there talking about uh, homeschooling and stuff, which is kind of an interesting topic. I've got young children now, so I already know it's not for me, but I am interested in it. And um, uh, Ryan was contributing, and, and Ryan um, actually works for an online school in, in the US, uh, a charter school, I believe, and, also, and runs a company called StemQuest. It's educational training. So Ryan, thanks very much for being on the podcast. It's, it's super interesting. You're, you're doing a lot of, a lot of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. It's a busy time, um, an interesting time for sure. And um, online education's kind of been thrown into the limelight a little bit as of recent. So um, it's uh, I've been in it for a few years now, so I have a little bit maybe more background than some. Um, whereas a lot of educators are just kind of got thrown into all this really recently. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, I've you know with my business, we've been doing Google training with schools for um, wow. I mean since 2006, really, you know, really it's start of Google for Education. And so I've always been working with schools, um, running, you know, schools that were running, were teaching face-to-face, but were running, they were using Google Classroom or they were using different, you know, learning management systems. They were doing a lot of the stuff online. And people sure. who really, the teachers who were embracing that before are, are adapting really well to, to the current situation. Yep, makes sense. Yeah, but I'm keen about your background. So before we get, because the great thing about the podcast is we we didn't really talk before. So I'm I want to learn about you. Like, if we could start from the beginning, I mean, what did you? Um, I saw you went to like a community college, and then, and then you went to university in Las Vegas. Like, what was uh, what was your background, and how did you get into teaching? 
Yeah, so I grew up in Washington State in the United States, and I was going to college. I always, from the time I was younger, I always thought I wanted to be an architect when I grew up. So that was always, I never had to really worry about too much of what I wanted to be when I grew up, when they give you all those little surveys and stuff in, in school, like, you know, take this survey and it'll guide you towards what you want to be when you grow up. Yeah, and yeah. so I'd have to take the little survey, but it always like architecture and engineering was always kind of towards the top of the list. So yeah, I got my um, original, like, associate's degree at community college because I was paying my own way through school yeah, and I had jump in, but I mean that's actually a lot of American friends have said like that's actually the, the cheap way to do it and a and clever way to do it is you do a two-year associate's degree at a community college and then most a lot of colleges you can just transfer into third year and you save Correct. a whole lot of money but people don't want to do it because people have like a status thing they don't want to be at a community college but it seems to me that's a sensible way to do things in, in, in the U.S. Yeah no I mean it totally it, it worked out well for me but I mean, I was working my way through school. I worked at a restaurant and then I would have my college classes. And then I ended up transferring to um, school in Nevada because it was less expensive than paying in-state tuition in at the University of Washington. And so they you, had- you went to the University of Washington in, in Seattle, did you? Or that was the plan originally? That was the plan originally. I got accepted into the degree program I wanted. It was landscape architecture, actually was the degree I ended up, it was the field of architecture I wanted to go into is more site planning. Um, and like kind of the, the pre-planning stages of putting together like developments and buildings and things as opposed to putting together like structural drawings of like the actual building once you put it up. But so, yeah, I went to university in Nevada and then started working in the profession. Actually, I was already working in um, offices through my last couple of years of school. Um, and then as soon as I graduated, I started my first company, which was uh, a landscape design company, um, worked with contractors doing installations. So basically on a lot of like private residential and some smaller commercial landscapes. How did you like it? Yeah. 22, 23, whatever. How did you start a company in, in that area and get clients? Cause you always imagine people running that kind of business. Yeah. 30s or 40s and stuff. How did you, how did you do that? So I've been working in a couple of different offices and there's this one in particular where there was a private designer that was doing like kind of freelance work. So he would come in and he would do designs and find clients and he'd been doing it for quite a while and he would have the he would we were a, a design build construction company um so they were primarily a construction company but then we would do our own in-house designs i would i would do design work but then they had crews of people that would go out and do the installs well he would go out and do his own designs and then bring them into the office get them bid out and then they would do the the installation so i kind of I hooked up with him and he said, hey, you know, instead of working here in this office, why don't you come work with me and we can, you know, do our own thing. So I had actually, um, you know, went and filed for a business license and started my sole proprietorship. And I partnered up not in partner, partner terms with him, but kind of, you know, handshake agreement. And so we just kind of went to work. And then the crunch of this is how it kind of wraps around back to education, I guess. And then 2007 hit. Um, 2007, 2008, and I kind of yeah, saw the writing really, on the wall. Really, really, really. Yeah, the, the office that I had was working for with at the time, we'd, um, I'd actually had to go back to work in an office because to get my architectural license and my stamp, um, I had to work under a licensed architect for a couple years. And yeah. so I didn't quite have that couple years under my belt. So I actually had to go back to, <clears throat> pardon me, work in an office and that was about 2007 and uh yeah that year i think we signed up 100 and some projects that year and then the recession hit and the next year i think they signed up 11. everybody right. got let go it got stripped way down i tried to outrun the storm and i moved to texas um austin area 
and worked for an architect there for about a year, saw the impending wave was coming because there's no money, like they weren't lending. And our, we were designing multi-use, uh, residential, mixed-use, residential, and living apartments. Um, yeah. They'd have like, you know, a parking garage wrapped with retail around the bottom with apartments above it, with community center and swimming pool and stuff like that. But there was no money. There was no lending. And so all those yeah. projects just got cut and everybody there at that office got let go. And so my, my joke is I got into education for the money because my wife was a teacher. I already knew what I was getting into. And at least we would be on the same schedule and I would have a steady paycheck as opposed to no paycheck. So that was how I got into classroom teaching. So I went back and to school. And you know, yeah. like teaching, I mean, I work with a lot with international schools and there's, there's actually, if you look on a global level, there's a lot of really well-paid jobs in, in education. You know, like it's not, everyone thinks it's, it's, it's a badly paid field and, and there is a lot of, you know, low salaries, but as if you look for the right opportunities, there, there are pretty well-paid things in education. Yeah. No, I'm super happy. I mean, it was like just one of those random curveballs that life throws at you. And I thought, you know, for the longest time, I knew exactly what I wanted to be. And then I got into that profession and after a few years of it, I was kind of like, you know what, this isn't really that cool <laughs> you know, I don't know and, like in the us but like in, in the uk where i'm from like my brother was as an architect was an architect you know uh actually my dad was as well and and it's it's actually not that well paid in the uk it's very it takes a long time you know because in the uk like in england a degree is normally three years i mean and, and an architecture degree is four to five years and then you have to do a postgraduate mm -hmm. and there's a qualifying period it's like longer than being a doctor to become an architect you know yeah and, and, but, and when you get through to the end of it there's a lot of people and it's not that well paid until you become a partner so I mean, my brother sure. he, he went into property development and now he's, he's making a lot of money like but that's you know, it's obviously a bit high risk but if you pull it off you make a lot of money now, the architects i know who've really made money have all become property developers basically yeah and that's actually so i kind of thought i wanted to maybe go down that route actually when i got into it a little bit um and then like i said i didn't have any i didn't have any money in the recession yeah is it not that well paid or, or is it is it well paid in the u.s architect i mean architects it's all right. I mean, I think it pays probably better than most teachers. Like I yeah. think um, you'd probably be a little bit, but it's kind of grinding work. Like yeah. you have to like lay out, you know, specifications and then you're doing like detail drawings and you're, um, you know, it's like a lot of like CAD work um, yeah, yeah. in an office, you know, on the computer and all that. So it's not as the fun creative part is like, unfortunately, a pretty narrow piece of the pie. And sure. kind of the more tedious, like day-to-day -day grind of it wasn't quite as, you know, that's not quite as fun. So I guess that's maybe why I kind of, you know, tried to look for something else. And education is definitely not the same every day. <laughs> yeah, but, well, did you do a teaching license or did you, did you do a non-teaching role? So I did. Yeah, I went back to school. They had a, a program. Um, I was in Texas at the time. So you did have to go back. And I forget um, exactly how long the program was. But it was basically like a uh, to get your teaching credential. You had to have a certain number of credits within the area. So I went to get a science credential. Um, and then I added my special education endorsement on top of that. So I was you know, going to school at night. I was actually got hired. I started as a teacher's assistant in an early childhood program. So I was working in the school system during the day um, in a classroom as a teaching assistant. And then I would have my classes at night to go back and get my teaching credential. Um, and then they start you on like a provisionary license. Um, and then after, I think, you know, three years or something like that, you prove your professional development credits, your continuing ed credits, and then they bump you up to like a standard license. Got it. Cool. And, um, and, and so how long did you do that? How long did you work as a teacher? So I started, I was a classroom teacher since 2000 and oh, I started as an ed assistant in 2009. And then I started, I got my first full-time teaching position 
Um, I was teaching computer technologies classes and coaching in a middle school, and that started in 2010. So that was just right about 10, 11 years now. Cool, cool. And, um, yeah. So, so how did that like? So, what was your path? You and how did you? Because obviously, your role, your role now is before we get into the entrepreneurial stuff. Like, how did you get into becoming like an IT manager, or like for, for the school? And how did you get sure. into teaching? Did you move to online teaching first, or what was the what was the progression? Good, good. So, I was actually started as a brick and mortar, like traditional middle school teacher in 2010. Um, I had a science endorsement, but I also had a endorsement to teach all subjects, grades four through eight. And I actually, when I, my first position, when I first got hired was actually to teach computer technologies. The, the middle school is looking for basically a sure. computer tech teacher. So um, that's what I got hired for first. And then they said, well, you know, if you really want to teach science, do this computer tech class for a year. And then maybe next year we'll see what's going on with our science department. Cause you know, people tend to move around, go to a different school and whatnot. Um, so I taught computer technologies and I moved into teaching um, eighth grade science and i did that i was in texas for six years yep. and then all of my family most of my family was towards the west coast so we were started looking around at the map and decided where we wanted to move to and um i've moved to las vegas three times now so i guess i'm going to stick around but <laughs> yeah. so we ended up picking las vegas back off the map um and when we came back to las vegas i actually started working at a, a brick and mortar but it was a charter school um and then i kind of you know, I saw I was teaching engineering and robotics classes and science and a job posting had popped up for um, an online school was looking for a STEM coordinator, uh, science, technology, engineering, math department coordinator. So um, I applied, got that position and that was with a virtual school. So that's when I kind of made the transition from traditional school to virtual school. And that was in 2014, I believe, somewhere right around there for 15, maybe. How we get into that? Like, I'm curious. A lot of non-US people, like, what what is the difference between? Would you describe between a charter school and a public school? Like, gotcha. So the difference with the charter schools is that they um, they have an agreement, a charter through typically um, like some sort of a government agency. Like the way a lot of times it's like through the state. And yeah. the way that the the charter schools just get to operate a little bit differently than the way. A traditional school does so um, in the United States the funding typically comes you know kind of from the state down you have your individual school districts um, that might be like in a city or a county you know even within a city sometimes they have like you know small little districts um, other places the districts are a lot bigger uh, but with the charter school is basically they get to kind of write their own vision statement and mission so if you're a charter school maybe you're focused on uh, liberal arts or maybe you're focused focused more on um, you know, STEM engineering fields. Maybe you're more focused on, you know, so you can kind of pick um, like the track, the path that you want that school to go on. So it's not, it can be a little bit more focused. Now they do still have to abide by a lot of the same or mostly the same requirements in terms of fulfilling, you know, state testing and making sure that you've, uh, you know, your students are passing and meeting accountability standards and that sort of thing. Cause they are a public charter school is still funded by, you know, taxpayer funds. Yeah. Um, and that, in that regard, it's still, it's still a public school. Um, but because it's with the way the charters written, a lot of them have, uh, you know, caps on enrollment where they can only have X amount of students. Um, a lot of them don't provide transportation. So if it is a brick and mortar charter school, you still have, you, you as the parent would have to get your child to the physical building, pick them up, right. drop them off, that sort of thing. So that's kind of the, some of the 
the surface level differences between an, a, a charter school and a public school. Got it, got it. Now, what's it like? I'm really curious about online schools because I've been learning more about this whole topic, you know, because I've worked with a few people who work for online school. I mean, you have online school districts as well as online schools. Like, what's it like, like, in terms of when you take a job there? I mean, is, is everyone, I presume everyone's remote. Do you ever get together? Like, how does it, how does it actually work in terms of running, work, doing a job there? Yeah, so generally people are remote, generally. Um, a lot of the online schools still do maintain some sort of a central office where a lot of like administrative things go on and, and things like that. Um, sometimes they actually do have like a physical building where students can come and have like teacher hours where they'll actually show up face-to-face -face and do like tutoring and that sort of a thing. Yeah. Um, so, but but generally, yeah, people are the teachers and, um, you know, people who are generally remotely. Um, and then it uses like video conferencing so like everybody kind of got thrown into this whole uh you know google meet and zoom and you know every other video conferencing tool that everybody's just all of a sudden in the last few months with the COVID 19 have to figure out how to do that yeah. um you know online schools have been doing that for the last you know many years and, and what, um, what were you using were you using zoom or, or google meet or what was your tools you were using for online teaching? um currently currently yeah late zoom um before that yeah. there's a company with blackboard blackboard connect blackboard yeah. collaborate those ones um but yeah this functionality with zoom works pretty well with um it has a pretty good tool where you can actually have for the when the kids are all on webcams like you can see you can't see exactly what's going on with their screen but you can see their faces it has the chat tool you can send them files through there um so it works pretty well so the different online schools do it a little differently um depending on the schedule um some of them meet classes you know every day some you know sometimes maybe you have math every day but you only have you know like your your science course might only be two days a week or um you know the different schools have their different schedules but typically you know it's you know an online classroom you have a set meeting time the kids join into the classroom they work with the teacher for a you know 45 60 minute time period um and then their homework and their lessons in that is managed through some sort of an LMS, like an online learning management system, where the teacher can post assignments, where they turn in assignments, where they can have discussions, and um, that's how like the interaction off during the out of class time works is through that. Now, the is this flexibility? Like, like I'm thinking, like can teachers, like like you said, sometimes they can have maths classes like a load in one day. Is there flexibility for the teachers to say, right, I want to teach a load of classes one day and then have a day free, or do they have to do a regular like like a normal teacher would have to go into their school every day? So it's pretty much like a normal teacher would have to go in. I mean, you have a schedule, um, depending on how the school has set up their schedule. But yeah, you definitely know on what days, what times you're going to have like your classes. But then, um, you know, they may build in like um, an extra like tutorials time or an office hour where the kids can kind of pop in, um, you know, for extra assistance. But all that scheduling is, you know, directed by the administration and how like, you know, if it is a charter school, like how your charter is set up. Um, yeah, yeah. So it's it's flexible in the fact that, you know, you can you know, in between classes, you can, you know, run downstairs and refill your coffee cup from the kitchen, yeah, yeah. but <laughs> it's inflexible in the terms that you still have to meet, you know, this, the, the number of days and hours and, and, you know, things like that, like a traditional school would. Yeah. I think if you do that job, I mean, either your job in administration or as a teacher, I think you really need to set up, set up your workspace. Great. You need a proper office, you need your microphone, you need to get everything, you know, a place yep. you can just to close the door and, and, and function. I think, you know, I think running, doing that kind of job from your kitchen table would be, would be really tough. Yes. Yeah, no, it definitely still includes all those different, you know, all the things that you use as a classroom teacher, you still use as an online teacher in terms of, you know, you still have, it's a little different, you know, the classroom management 
you know, online classroom management. It's different than face-to-face classroom management. Sure. I honestly think, you know, in that regard, a lot of times face-to-face classroom management's a little easier because you can physically stand next to, you know, the students, <laughs> uh, look over their shoulder, you know, point, and, and this is what you're supposed to be doing. This is because online, um, you, I, my feeling with online education is you can learn just as much online. Um, it just might take a little bit longer just because when, uh, you know, students run into tech trouble or, you know, then, you know, the world kind of stops yeah. and then it's, it's harder to manage, um, individual problems and tech troubles and things like that, uh, with the whole group environment online. So, sure. but you, I think, like I said, in terms of online education, I do strongly feel you can learn just as much. It just might take a little bit longer. Definitely. And I presume like from your point of view as an IT manager, like you have all, it's all web-based tools, I presume, all tools that you can run just from a browser. Correct. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Now, now I'm really curious about the entrepreneurship side. I mean, I've, I've actually started a Facebook group, Educate Entrepreneurs, and I'm hugely into this subject. Like, so, so how did you come to start your, I mean, you've got a website, STEMQuest, S-T-E-M-Q-W-E-S-T. How did you manage to sort of start that? And what was the kind of the, the how did this idea come about? Yeah, so with STEM Quest, um, and and the QW is kind of a little play on words because my first company yeah, yeah. was uh, was had the word West in it, and uh, like where I went to school, like the athletic conference that they participated was the Mountain West Athletic Conference. Okay. So you know that's kind of where the and the whole quest journey part of it. So yeah. I kind of could jumbled a couple words together, <laughs> but um, yeah, in terms of STEM quests, I started in 2016. I was an online teacher at the time. I'd been an online teacher for about a year. And um, at the time we were actually, my son was going to school online um, and we were homeschooling my son. And it wasn't, he was extremely bright. He was the kid in like second grade that drove his teachers absolutely bonkers. Like he was the very active ADD smart kid and he didn't struggle in school. He is totally great. His academics were except, you know, very good. <laughs> um, the teachers kind of struggled with him and just, you know, behavior management because he'd be done quickly and then he'd have, you know, want to fill his brain with, you know, something fun to do. And, you know, they wanted him to sit and be quiet. So we had pulled him out of traditional school at that point and we're, we're homeschooling him. And in the search for online school options for a seven-year-old at the time um, was difficult. The stuff that he was into and the stuff that he wanted to get in, you know, the STEM science technology type classes, a lot of those were geared towards older students. Yeah. And they were missing kind of the the cohort component, it was like, all right, you can log in and you can do this online course, you know, by yourself at your kitchen table. And that wasn't the environment that he wanted. He wanted, you know, interaction with peers and other people that were into the things that he was into. And so those kind of courses, they were a little difficult to find for younger students. And so I thought, you know, I can kind of fix this. I was teaching programming, coding, video game design class at the time. And, you know, my son was you know super into like video games and i saw how excited he'd get about video games and he'd be talking about them all night at the kitchen table and i was like you know there's some overlap here and some ways that i can i was like i'm a teacher i know i i can help fix this you know i can design some courses that kids love that they still learn so i started putting courses together and uh, my first course was actually uh the game design course so yeah. i put together the coding programming class and what interestingly enough was it was it a bunch of video lessons like what did it look like or was it a live training? yeah so it was video lessons because I was trying to clone myself, basically. I was like, how can I take myself and, and just, you know, 
make a copy of myself. And so the way to do that was with video lessons. Yeah. So I would make video lessons. I'd put together like full color uh, guided notes and tutorials um, and then um, share those out with the students. Well, my actual, my first plan, it's kind of funny to be on the International Schools podcast with you here because uh, my first project was actually uh, a teacher had found my website and they were actually in China. They were working at an uh, international school in China and they said, hey, this looks, this game design programming class looks really cool. Can we do it in China? And I was like, yeah. Um, so we set them all up, got all their accounts. And then we ran into some internet trouble, not with the software, but with their internet. Um, I think the the Chinese internet was kind of blocking some access yeah, outside. Yeah, you know? wall of China, they call it. Yeah, yeah. and so he eventually got his, within a few weeks, he got his money back. It was kind of wild because he was sending me pictures. I was like, oh my gosh, this is like the coolest thing. I've got all these kids in China and they're like, so you're sending me pictures of them working on their computer games. And, yeah. um, you know, it was, they had an online site that they could log into and access all the tutorials and the lessons. And that's where it started. Um, but then through my son homeschooling him and looking for classes that he could do, we found OutSchool. I'm not familiar if you're I'm not sure no, if you're familiar no, no, no. with OutSchool. Um, but OutSchool um, has been around for, gosh, I'm trying to think. They maybe started in 2014, 15, somewhere around there. And they are basically, I compare them to, they're the Amazon for homeschoolers. Right. So they are an online marketplace where teachers apply um, and they get accepted to be on their platform. And then teachers can curate and create their own courses and then post them on OutSchool. And so that's where STEM Quest now has had the biggest um, boost in terms of like, you know, just volume and how we can service so many people from 37 different countries now is that they're actually not coming directly to the website, but they're actually signing up through OutSchool. So um, I've got about, I don't know, 10 or 11 different courses that are posted up on OutSchool. And so OutSchool.com, correct. Yeah. And so from there, they can find the STEM Quest courses. Once they take one, they like the format. You know, there's another one they can take and another one. So there's a now we have marine biology themed classes, earth science, architecture classes, which, you know, is probably the most popular. Well, I know that's the most popular class, uh, but I can take my my previous experience as an architect and kind of transfer that into, you know, a a course that, you know, fourth, fifth, sixth graders. can create something and do something. And they're not just absorbing information. They're actually going out and they're taking the information about architecture and history. And now they can go out and they can make their own models and designs of it. Um, you know, it's interesting. Like I've, um, that's one of the great things, you know, we're, we're both in this group, which is kind of location independent entrepreneurs. And one of the cool things about entrepreneurship is you can bring together a lot of different fields. You don't just have to like a lot of people just have one job, you know, whereas right. you're bringing in architecture education. I mean, I, I actually studied civil engineering and, uh, and I studied education as well. Um, and you know, I, I can do a business when I can bring in whatever I want. You know, if I want to bring in different things, I can, I can start a business doing that. You know, if you've got an entrepreneurial mindset, you can, you can collaborate on, on different things and maybe you still get to work a little bit in architecture and, and, you know, without being an architect. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's really great. It's, 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 um, the best teachers I think I've ever had are the ones that really enjoy what they're teaching. And so in this format, like I get to pretty much like if I, if I don't want to teach English, <laughs> I don't yeah, have to teach English. You know, that's not my jam. That's not what I'm into, but I can take all the things that I love. I can make that into a, a course that, um, you know, then you're getting the, the students on the other end are getting, you know, quality education from someone that's not just has to teach the subject. They're, I'm really yeah, teaching they really something to teach that I'm it, into. Yeah. 
Yeah. And do you do you do any live teaching where people people can sign up to a real class, or is it all recording videos, recording like supporting materials, and and people get a full program? I course? do. So with uh, I started once I got hooked up with OutSchool back in 2017 with their format. I started. I only had like one or two classes at the time. Yeah. And so uh, from there, I've kind of branched off and I've continued to add, like I said, it's up to like maybe 10 or 12 different ones now. And I do do live classes. Um, it's just with my schedule with the school because I was still working in the school system. So I'd either have to teach classes at like 6 a.m., you know, my time I and mean, catch yeah. a lot of students in different time zones. So I'd jump online and I can do classes in the morning before I start like my day job. Um, I do a lot of like winter camps and things like that, like over winter breaks. So I've done like spring break classes that work with my schedule, but with the online, they call it a flexible schedule class where it's basically, it has start and end dates. So the kids, all they know exactly when it starts and when it ends, but then the, the, the guided lessons and the assignments and the quizzes and the video tutorials are posted um, where they can work on them at any time of day. So that's where you can get students from any time zone can be. And it's really cool. Like kids will be on and, you know, one's in England and one's in Singapore and one's in the United States, but they can all be in the same online classroom together Yeah, yeah. Uh, and not live, but they can post and, and have discussions back and forth and share their work with each other. Right. So when you do this live teaching, you do it on this outschool.com. You don't, it's not, on, it's not part of your site. You, you do it for them. And I guess they, they take a percentage and, and you keep the rest, something like that. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, it's just like, it's like an Amazon, you know, they, they host your course and then you, they take a percentage for that, which is totally reasonable. And then, um, you know, but with that, they have a huge platform obviously. And it's kind of like, if someone's on there looking for a history course, or an English course, but then they're like, oh, let's supplement with this STEM class that looks entertaining. Um, so it's a good way to reach a, a large audience that way. And, and how are you, your, your company, uh, STEM Quest, how are you promoting that? Is that via OutSchool or is there any other way? Like, because I mean, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of teachers listening to this because we have a lot of educated entrepreneurs and they're thinking, great, yep. you know, I'm, an, I'm an expert in English literature. I'd love, I've got a great idea for a course. Like, like and how would I promote it? You know, they, they can think about conceptually about how to create the course, but, but how are you, you know, to make, as a money-making venture, how are you promoting this website? Sure. So with the website itself is pretty organic. I don't get a lot of, a, a ton of traffic actually to the main website. Um, most of the traffic is actually coming through like the teacher page that I have set up on OutSchool. Right. Uh, one of the things well, with their, OutSchool is, I mean, that, that is the sales channel. Then OutSchool correct. Is yeah. With their percentage that they take from your courses, like I do, I see my classes running ads on Facebook and on Instagram. So they have a marketing uh, channel, but with them, it's kind of like, you know, a snowball. Like once now you have, they have a ability to like a teacher or favorite a course. Yeah. And so once someone likes STEM quest, or they like the course, they're like, Oh, this class looks fun, but I'm too busy right now. Maybe I want to take it three, four months from now. Well, they can like the teacher or like the course. And then when new sessions get posted, then it sends them like a little notification that says, Hey, that course you liked, there's a new session that's going to start in, you know, July. That's really cool. Whatever. So like, so yeah. could I say, for example, I wanted to do a, like, um, a high school business business and management course and you know which which may be related to a curriculum and you sure. I could promote it on here they take their fee and i and i could teach that, that program correct absolutely wow, that's really cool yeah I, yep. I never heard of this website but it's it's really interesting yeah. now i'm curious uh, you know a lot about the online teaching world i mean there's probably some people like you know we're, we're in this community that's very location independent you know and mm -hmm. I, I've, I've traveled a lot we can work from anywhere like Let's say somebody wanted to become a teacher, but they wanted they wanted just to go straight into online teaching because let's say they wanted to go and live in Thailand for six months. They didn't want to just stay in their hometown and teach there. Could you get your teacher credential like online teaching? Is that possible? Could I go to an online school as a teaching assistant or as a teacher and then get like a state credential? Is that possible for teachers to do that? <laughs> 
Uh, you know, I'm sure that it is. I know that there's lots of different uh, universities and things that actually do, you know, different online teacher certification programs and yeah. such. Uh, presumably for teaching license, typically you have to be like a resident or, you know, have some sort of allegiance to the state where you're going to be teaching in. Um, yeah. But for online, like I know I've did work with different online schools and the teachers, they can be, you know, in Europe someplace. And as long yeah. as they're okay with working in the time zone connected to the end, I mean, it might be 11 AM where your kids are and it might be 6 PM where you are. Um, wow. is, is, but, that like, is, that, is that also relate to your virtual school in the U S like the charter school? Do you get like Europeans teaching there or is it only like people in your state teaching? In no, it's typically it's people in the state. Cause you have to be the way that the charter is set up, you need to be licensed within the state where you're right. teaching. But um, you know, if you need to go, you know, visit grandma and, New York, you know, you take your computer with you and you set up shop there while you're out of town and then um, you can teach from anywhere, really. I mean, there's the flexibility or not with your administrators, like they may have rules that no, you can't do that. But there's really no reason why you can't because as long as you're online. Cool. That's really interesting. Like, I'm curious about your business. I mean, obviously, you don't need to tell us any numbers, but like, what what stage is it at? I mean, is it at a stage that you, you could leave your job? Is it like a good side income or is it really just paying for bare money on the weekend? Like, what? So what it started, yeah. So, so when I started it, you know, I was sitting on my couch in my condo and I was like, you know, I'd really just like to have like $1,000 a month where I can, you know, just throw a little more money into the savings account or, you know, yeah. take a little longer vacation in the summer or something. So that's actually where it kind of started. It's just like a strictly on the side thing. And then um, from there, within like a year, you know, a little more, I started to think, wow, this is gaining some traction and this is something that I could possibly do, you know, as a full-time job. Now, right now I do, um, it, it does well. I mean, I've actually ended up adding a person or two. My wife's helps a lot with kind of some logistics background stuff. Um, I've actually brought on another teacher recently that just helps kind of um, keep an eye on classroom, you know, comments and making sure that people get their, you know, questions answered in a timely manner um, as, you know, volumes kind of increased a little bit. But it's something that I can do you know, on the weekend, there's a lot of people is for educator entrepreneurs out there. If you think of it this way, like there's a lot right. of time. In the, week. the best thing you can do is kill your cable, like turn off your cable Great TV. Advice. Like even cable, get rid of Netflix, <laughs> get rid of Netflix. Like, um, you save money and you can make so much more because you can get up, you can teach a class at six o'clock in the morning, or you can get online and you can check emails and send messages to your students from six o'clock to eight o'clock. Yeah. Then you can do your job from eight to three or eight to four. And then you've got four hours every evening where if you don't watch Netflix and chill, then you can, you know, work. And then there's a lot of time on Saturday and Sunday. Like you don't yeah, have to yeah. put in like a full 10 hour work day on, but if you do five hours, get my kid sleeps in till gosh, whatever time in the morning, get up at six o'clock, hop on the computer for four or five True. hours. I'm young children now. And I, I love that time of the day, like from six to seven. It's, it's my yeah. favorite time of the day. It's quiet. I go downstairs, have a coffee. I can open my laptop. It's, it's like, it's like the, the, the glorious hour of the day, you know, no one's And around. that's when my brain works the best yeah. from like five 30 in the morning till, you know, 11, you know, that's when I can get more done in those three four hours there than I can in a after two o'clock <laughs> I need a little bit of a, a chill time you know let yeah, me kind of time now, yeah. it's interesting yeah. a lot of educational entrepreneurs I know a lot who could leave their job but actually don't want to because they actually quite some of them have it, it, as long as it's not too heavy a workload they, they get they've got their you know they have a, a lot of good things like healthcare and they also they have pension and all this other stuff 
and, yep. and, and you know, and, and they have enough time off, you know, like, it, like if you if your kids in school, it's not like you can just be going off traveling all term anyway, you've got to kind of be in the same place. So I know people right. who just like, they could leave their job, but they don't, they just keep doing it. You know, I guess that's kind of the boat where I'm at. Like I yeah. could, if I wanted to, but, um, I love the people that I work with. I have a fantastic administrative team that I work with, some amazing teachers. Um, I think that our school, the school that I work with is doing some really incredible things that, um, you know, I don't have any reason to leave. Like they treat me very well and I really like the people. Um, so I'm happy to keep doing both for the time being, you know, that might change uh, depending sure. on how things go. But um, things have definitely, within the last few months, things have definitely had a quite an uptick because you know when you close every school on the planet and the kids are at home driving their parents nuts and they want they're like the schools got kind of caught off guard with this because they didn't have like a robust distance education plan in place you know there's certain places that did like i've talked with other educators that live in um places where it's like super cold and snowy like super frigid and when it's you know 30 below and it's a blizzard outside you can't go to school um so they do have like a backup plan where yeah you know they but uh, most schools really got caught off guard and they didn't have a backup plan and so kids were at home driving mom and dad nuts and they're like all right let's hop online and see if we can find you something to do a backup plan like that they, they weren't until the last couple of years that they weren't really good robust tools to do this I and mean, if you look at like Google Meet and, and, and Zoom and things, they've really come of age. I mean, obviously you mentioned you've got things like Blackboard. You have these kind of huge enterprise systems. But I mean, Blackboard costs like $100,000 a year for a school and it's clunky as hell, you know? Right, so yeah. It wasn't like, I mean, it really, the, the technology wasn't really, I mean, now the technology is 100% there. You, you can do it, you know? Like kids have got a Chromebook. It's a pretty cheap device. In not, not all schools in the world, of course, but, you know, a lot of kids have got a, access to a cheap laptop with a good browser that can run most things. You've got web-based tools. And, and I think now it's, there's probably a lot of talking about entrepreneurial ideas. There's a lot of entrepreneurial options doing services, products for schools to help move online, you know, helping them maybe developing tools or, or helping with consulting, developing plans. There's, there's a lot of interesting work people could be doing with schools right now in this interim period, because every school is going to want a plan for next year. You know, they're going to want to have yep. a way to do this. And there's, there's opportunities right there. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where I think a few years when I, like I said, my first client was, uh, and then I ended up having to refund him anyways, but <laughs> was over in, in China. That was kind of my original goal was like, I was like, oh, I'm going to find schools that could use my platform. They can log into my website. If they don't have, see, when I was teaching in a, the brick and mortar charter school, I was teaching science, but they said, all right, every teacher has to teach an elective. And we want you to teach some sort of a engineering robotics stem type elective and i was like okay awesome but i was into that like that's something that i was super now and a lot of schools like the stem teacher or the computer teacher is the history teacher or the english teacher or the math teacher and they're like hey you know we need to teach this computer class you're it this year yeah. and they may not have the background the skills the you know they might not know how to code and program. And the kids are like, they're like, we want you to teach this coding and programming class, go figure it out. But if you can leverage other people like a STEM quest or someone else's business where you can be either a curriculum provider or provide some sort of assistance or training um, to help these teachers out where they can kind of have a program that's made yeah. by someone that's an expert where they don't have to fumble through it. Um, it just makes for a better learning environment for the students and a better teaching experience for the teachers. And so there's a lot of opportunity to, I think, offer um, 
support to schools and teachers that way. And I think maybe a few years ago, schools might have been a little less open to that. Like, hey, let's bring in this outside company um, that's going to, you know, provide us with some sort of a, you know, STEM curriculum. Um, and they maybe in the past would have been like, no, let's just do it in house. But I think now people are wising up and schools are kind of coming online and to the idea that, you know, maybe our in-house personnel can be used better if we do go with some sort of a curriculum provider, online platform. Hybrid model. I mean, here's the thing, right? You know, like, let's say a lot of, I work with international schools, they're private, you know, maybe they don't have a small school. They don't have a like um, some kind of, let's pick a subject, like, like, like business, I mentioned business and management. They, they don't have that class, but so the kid could attend the regular classes in the school and then take with this extra provider, they could take this one class and maybe yes. they take some class and the school kind of coordinates it. So there's, there's options for kind of providers to work with schools. Maybe they just offer this one class and, and, you know, maybe even the students sit in the classroom and it's on the screen in front of them. But there's, there's a lot of hybrid kind of opportunities like that right now, I think. Yeah, I totally agree. And I think that you now um, in light of the recent situation with schools closing, I think even more of them are going to be more open to stuff like that. So Definitely. exactly what you just said. Ryan, I'd love to talk for another hour, but I've unfortunately got to rush off now. Where can people find you online if they want to catch up with you? Uh, so easiest way is probably just to go to www.stemquest.com. So it's S-T-E-M-Q-W-E-S-T.com. Uh, there's a contact us button. That's probably the easiest way to, to reach out. Great. Ryan, really been a great, great to talk to you. Thank you very much. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for chatting with you as well.